Hello, hello. Hey, hey, hey. Can y'all hear me? Hello. I know y'all are excited about Beach Retreat. I said, I know y'all are excited about Beach Retreat, but we are going to jump into the word tonight. As it has already been mentioned, my name is Andrew Kappenman, and I am one of the new guys on staff. I am from the great state of Mississippi. Um, Yeah, right? Right. So I just moved here a few months ago with my family from Mississippi uh, with Patrick Chandler, the guy that preached a couple weeks ago, and we are church planning residents on staff here at Salt Church, and we are pumped that we get to be here with you guys. We get to serve along uh, Stephen and Josiah Jensen and Noel on Salt Company staff for this coming up year, and or this year, and just get to hang out and see what Salt Church is all about, because we desire, Patrick and myself and our family's desire, is to plant another church like Salt Church in the state of Florida next to another university who needs to hear Jesus. And so we are... We are pumped about that, and so if you're graduating in a couple of years, start praying now um, because we need people to go with us to share Jesus. But anyway, but yeah, I am married. I have a wife. Her name is Megan. She is fantastic. She is not here tonight. She is putting our three kids to bed because we're going to Disney World tomorrow. So yeah, let's go, right? It's a great place. And so she's not here, but I have three kids, a daughter and two sons. That's Peyton, Silas, and Titus. They are awesome as well. They are my crazies. They're always hyped up, ready to go. And so hopefully you'll get to meet them sometime. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and start to get ready to jump in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. We got a little sneak peek a few seconds ago. Uh, Caleb was messing with the computer. Um, sorry, Kate. Uh, I, I didn't mean to call you out, but... Uh, But anyway, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30 is where we're going to be. I want to share two stories with you before we really dive in and before we really kind of get into the meat of the passage. But these two stories will really kind of set us up tonight for what we should be thinking about and how we should be really looking into this text. The first story is about a lady uh, that... We met in a a different country. I love taking students around the world on mission trips to share Jesus in a context where the gospel is not being presented, the true gospel is not being presented. And so I was on a mission trip with some college students in the Dominican Republic. And we were walking down the road, and we see this house, and there's a bunch of people sitting on the front porch of this house. And so what do we do? We're like, hey, let's go talk to these people, right? So we walk up onto this front porch of this house, and there's this older lady and her daughter uh, and granddaughter and just a, a bunch of different people. So we just started sharing the story of Jesus, and we just asked them, hey, do you go to church? There's some churches in the area. Do you go to church? Have you ever heard about Jesus? And all that stuff. We present the gospel to this lady, and we're like, hey, you need Jesus in your life. He gives you hope. He gives you peace. He gives you everything that you need. Nothing this world has to offer um, is good for you, except for Jesus. Little did we know, while we were presenting the gospel to these people on the front porch, there was a lady in their yard hiding behind a tree. It's kind of awkward at first, you know, <laughs> kind of peeking around the tree. But the entire time we were sharing that story on the porch, she was listening intently, like just intense, just listening to every word that we said. So we finally got done sharing the gospel with these people on the porch, and a couple of them came to know Christ, and we were just praising and rejoicing that the Lord was faithful, that he was working in in people's lives in this area. Well, this lady walks up to us, and she she came up to me, and she was like, that's the greatest story that I've ever heard. 
I want to believe it also. Like, man, like, how many opportunities do you get like that as a, as a believer, right? And so we shared the gospel, we walked through with it again, and like, as soon as we got done, she was just kind of crying, she ran away. We're like, what the heck is going on? Like, didn't expect that to happen, right? She runs away, and we're like, where did she go? So we were trying to ask the other people where she went, and they couldn't really know because she didn't say anything. She just ran away. And she came back, and she had a book in her hand. She was running to us with a book, and she basically asked our translator, she's like, what do I do with this? And what it was, it was a, a book of a, of a different religion that had a bunch of different false gospels in it. She's like, what I've heard today is truth, and what this is is it's not. So what do I need to do with it now? And we said, get rid of it. You don't need it. So she went over and she threw it in the garbage and she ran away from it. And in, my mo in that moment, I was like, man, do I live my life for Christ like that, right? What a great story. Someone who's willing to give up everything that she's always known in order to follow truth. The second, second story I want to share with you is about a guy named Victor. I was on a different mission trip in East Asia. And we were in East Asia sharing uh, the gospel through uh, a time of the year during Christmas, during uh, a time of the year where we can just really look at who Jesus is. And we met this guy named Victor because we were walking down the sidewalk, and one of our team members, one of my students, just said hey to him. And he realized that we spoke English, and so he just latched on to us. And Victor became a very, very close friend to our team. He, he, he met us every single day to walk us around the city, walk us to these different classes that we are getting to share Jesus and to do all these different things that we wouldn't even, even think about getting to do because Victor was there alongside of us and became a, just a really, really good friend of ours. So much that he became such a good friend. My wife uh, on that trip got sick, had got a really, really bad cold. He showed up to the hotel that we were staying in, broke into their kitchen, took some of their stuff and made some concoction out of like ginger and brown sugar or whatever and brought it up to our room so that she could drink it and feel better. What a guy, right? Like Victor was awesome. The entire trip, we kept just kind of just walking through just why we were there and why we wanted Victor to hear the story about Jesus and the gospel. And I remember a defining moment. We got to go to the same city twice, and this was the second year that we were there. And Victor met us the second year as we got out of the taxi. <laughs> he was like, we're glad you're back. But I remember the last night that we were there, we were sitting in a hotel room, all sitting on the floor in a circle, sharing the gospel with Victor. And he looks dead in my face. And he was like, I know what you're saying is true. I can see that you truly believe it, and you want me to know. But if I believe in this gospel, I'll lose all that I have. I'll lose my family. I'll lose my status as a student on this campus. I want to be a part of this position when I grow up in this society of business and government and culture. And so if I trust this, I can't have those things. And he never trusted Jesus. It broke my heart that night. But we see these two people, and we will be met tonight with the decision that we will all face is which one of these people will we identify with? We'll be like the lady at the tree who's willing to sacrifice it all for Jesus and for truth and what he meant for her life. Are we going to be the one who was held back by selfish ambition, selfish desires, everything that he wanted to hold on to? Which one of those people will we be?
our passage tonight gives us a picture of just that. Gives us a picture of a decision, a choice that we are going to have to make when it comes into our lives. And so I hope you're there. I hope you're ready to jump in. Let's read. We're going to read 18 through 30 in chapter 18 of Luke. And then we're going to dive into it. It says in verse 18, it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible and you can follow along. A ruler asked him, this is talking to Jesus, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. This ruler, this young ruler asked, I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how, are, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard him asked this, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is, possible with, what is, impossible with, man is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who's left his house, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times at this time in the eternal, in the age, in eternal life and in the age to come. Tonight, I want to challenge you with a series of questions and when I ask these questions, it's just three, when I ask them, I really want you to think about each and every single one of them. Because if you're like me, sometimes I'm not the best of listeners. Someone will be talking straight to my face, and I'm not even hearing anything that they're saying. But tonight, when I ask this series of questions, I really want to think, you to think about how you would answer these. Because I believe that these questions, the questions that I'm going to ask, that they're life-altering to me, and they're life-altering to you. And they're actually the reason why you're sitting in these chairs tonight. And so question number one, it comes straight from our text, what the young ruler asked, is what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the most important question that you could ever ask. This is the most important question that you can ever ask in your entire life. Whether you're a believer who knows Jesus or you're a non-believer who is hearing these things for the very first time, you don't really know how to take that question right yet. And as I ask that question, many things are probably shooting through your brain and through your mind right now. What must I do to, eternal, uh, to inherit eternal life? How does that work? What do I do? The thing is, everything hinges on the way that we answer this question. The young ruler in this passage as he's talking to Jesus, and this ruler was a young man, but he had some prestige to him. Like he was a younger guy who knew a lot, who was following the law, like he had things put together. So he's asking Jesus this question, what do you, you know, like how can I inherit eternal life? The, the young ruler wanted to know what he had to do. And Jesus' response went in a totally different direction. 
in a totally different direction. My wife has a master's degree in counseling, and Jesus answers this question just how my wife would answer this question. And how did he do it? Y'all want to look? He said, just like in Jesus' uh, form and many other situations, he answers the question with what? Another question. (laughs) I look at my wife sometimes when she does that to me. I'm like, you're trying to figure something out about me right now. (laughs) And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. This ruler said, hey, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. What did Jesus say? Jesus asked, why do you call me good? We're probably already thinking, like, it's kind of obvious, right? You're Jesus. The crazy thing in that time is when you look at a teacher, you look at rabbis, most of them are not called by this name. When you, in that time and age, you would call a teacher a master, like master teacher. They would not use the word good there because Jews in this time would reserve the word good only for God. So the young ruler was making a statement about the one he was talking to that was major, right? Good teacher. Do you, you really truly believe that, like, that you're talking to God? And then Jesus replies back to him with a, with a strange answer that's trying to get this guy to think, right? He's trying to like, hey, I'm working with you here, man. I'm trying to help you out, but things are just not clicking with you right now. Jesus replies, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Jesus here wasn't denying his uh, his deity. He wasn't trying to say that, hey, I'm not God, I'm not Jesus. What he was trying to do as he was talking to this young ruler, what he was really trying to pull out was he's looking at this young ruler and he's saying, do you really know who you're talking to? You call me good teacher, do you truly believe that? Do you truly know who you're talking to? He was trying to make sure that the ruler knew what he was saying and what he was claiming, because if he did truly know that, everything hinges on Jesus being God and being able to answer it that way. If Jesus is not God, then we're all wasting our time in this room right now. We might as well all go home, Do whatever you want to do, watch a movie, watch Netflix. I could have gone to Disney World a day earlier because we are wasting time in this moment if this is not who Jesus is. And he was wanting the young ruler to know, do you know when you say good teacher who you're really talking to? So what's the answer? Young ruler's just kind of sit there waiting. He's like, man, like, okay, Jesus is saying all these things back to me. I really don't know how to handle that. But Jesus is basically saying when he's trying to tell him, hey, do you know who you're talking to? But while I have you here, let me answer it for you. And so the question number two that we ask tonight is after what do I do to enter eternal life then? What is the requirement for eternal life? What is that? How would you answer that question right now? What is the requirement for eternal life? I'm afraid that if we ask that out loud and we ask people to answer that question, we would get so many answers. Is it something I must accomplish? Is it something I must do? Is it something, is it the way that I think? Is it what I give my money to? Is it how I spend my time? 
Jesus answers the young ruler by giving him some of the Ten Commandments. And those probably stuck out to you when we read them, right? And when you look at verse 20, it says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And everybody in the room's like, I've got that. <laughs> That's what the ruler was thinking. What Jesus gave him here when he says these things, if you kind of get into the technical idea of it, is that what Jesus gave him was considered the second table of the law. Like when we were looking at the commandments of the, the Ten Commandments, right, the, those would be called the second table, is those are the things that which we owe to man. When we're trying to be obedient to Jesus, these are the things that we owe to man. And he deliberately left out the first table, those are things that we which, which we owe to God. That's pretty significant, right? Jesus is being asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he leaves out God completely. But he's continued to trying to get this young ruler to think. He's continued to trying to, to bring these things back up into his mind. And the young ruler answers like this, just probably like how we would all answer this in this room. I haven't done any of these things. I hope you haven't. <laughs> there's any murderers in the room, go talk to Stephen. <laughs> I'm going to walk out this door. I've kept these commandments. That's what the ruler said. In verse 21, he said, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now thinking, I haven't done any of these things. I've tried to help others. I'm a good person. That's what the ruler's thinking. Like, thankfully, Jesus asked me these things because I'm good here. However, the ruler in this moment was lacking understanding. He had no idea what Jesus was talking about because all these commandments in an instant can be broken within our hearts without us even having to think about it. That's a scary thought. That even before we leave this room tonight, without us even thinking about this, we can do all these things within our heart. Do not commit adultery. It's the last time you lusted after someone who's not your wife or your husband. Do not murder. When's the last time you hated someone so much because of what they've done to you? Do not steal. When have you coveted something of someone else's? We can do these with even having to think. And Jesus specifically left off the first table because he knew how the ruler's heart was going to act. He knew how the ruler was going to answer this question. He knew that by his actions and how he was answering these questions that he truly didn't believe that Jesus was standing in front of him. And that's why we see Jesus' reply in verse 22. After the ruler says, I've kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told them in verse 22, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The ruler was so focused on something that he can do rather than realize who was standing in front of him. How often do we get to that? I, I'm guilty of that so often that I'm so worried about doing the thing that's in front of me and the idea of ministry that I forget who I'm doing it for. Jesus is asking this young ruler, it's like, 
please understand who's standing here. But the, the ruler was so focused on a tangible thing that he could do. And so what? Jesus gave it to him. He gave him something to do. And that something was the core issue in his life. It was the core sin in his life. Get rid of all your earthly treasure and follow me. Get rid of it all and distribute it to the poor because they could use it. You do that and you can come and you can follow me. It was now at this mind that Jesus, at this time that Jesus was reminding him of that first table of the law that you should have no other gods besides me. And this young ruler knew the law. So in an instant, he knew exactly what Jesus was asking of him. In an instant. At this moment, Jesus was declaring his deity. He's like, I am Jesus. I am the good teacher. I am the one who is standing in front of you. And the cost of following me is great. And for you is to get rid of all your stuff. Jesus wasn't trying to use the law has a list of things that we had to do because he knows that we're going to break them all. doesn't mean that we don't try to follow them, that we have to follow these and do these, and then we can, we can follow him. No, he wasn't using the law in that way. He was using the law as a mirror. It's like, look at this law, and then look in the mirror. You are a broken person, and you need me. You need me. Do you see how broken you are. He's looking at this young ruler and he's like, you love your stuff more than you love me. The young ruler wanted salvation. He wanted to have eternal life, but he wanted it on his terms. And in verse 23, it says this, And after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. And some translation says, and he became sad and he walked away. He wanted salvation on his terms. He wanted his possessions to be priority rather than Jesus. For the young ruler, it was money and possessions. What area of life might that be for you? What area of life might that be for you? This passage hits home in my heart because this is my story. I loved football more than anything in this world. I loved partying more than anything in this world. You can ask Patrick. He was my roommate. He loved Jesus, and he was following Jesus. I was not when I entered college. All I was worried about was winning football games, and when was the next party? What area of life might that be for you? It could be school, in your grades. It could be a drive to be successful. It may be some activity or club that you're involved in. It could be a type of lifestyle. 
It could be a group of people or friends, maybe even family. Is it wealth and prosperity? Is it your intellect? That my mind is greater than these things. I can tell you right now that the gospel doesn't even fit into our logic because it's completely opposite of who we are. And you'll never understand it because Jesus is faithful. What is keeping you from following Jesus? Maybe it's one of these that I've mentioned. Maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's something else. I can tell you at different points in my life, it's been some form or fashion of all of these. This past week when we were talking as a staff team about what's being preached and what's coming up, I love the example of of Paul, our, our lead pastor here at Salt Church, when we were just kind of walking through the te- uh, text, he kind of gave the example. He's like, what is in your hand right now? And this was really at home with me because I have kids, right? So what is in your hand right now that when you're holding it out in your hand, that when Jesus reaches out for it, you snatch it away? What is out there in your hand that is keeping you from following Jesus? Because when he reaches for it, you snatch it away like, oh, I can't give it to you right now. I love it too much. For the ruler, it was money, it was possessions. What is it for you? If you look back at verses 24 and 25, we see the heart of Jesus. We see how he acts in this situation. And Jesus said, seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how, are, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It wasn't that having riches was wrong. There's so many people that we see in, in Scripture that had an abundance of wealth, had an abundance of possessions, but put their entire faith in God. You can look at Abraham, you can look at David, and many others, but just to name a couple. However, the ruler was trust, trusting in the riches, the riches that gives him life. That's what it was, he was trusting in. He wanted those things. He wanted to have them and for them to like, give him life. And the thing is, he didn't have riches. The riches had him. Every one of us are gripped by sin from birth and something that has taken hold of our lives. And it's hard to get rid of them. I understand. I know. I remember the day when I heard a sermon about giving everything and surrendering everything in your life to Jesus. I was sitting at a college, college ministry event just like this. And the Lord broke me. It's like, you love other things more than you love me. I was broken that night. Couldn't sleep. Let's sit on my floor in our dorm room, Patrick and I, repented, said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Knew what I needed to do. Woke up the next day. Something I've desired since I was in the fourth grade was to continue to play football for as long as I could. Walking over to my football coach in college, sitting in his office, and telling him, I have to quit this team because Jesus is worth more. I look back at it, and I've never regretted it since. Never regretted it since. 
It's hard to do these things. I understand that. And we know that we need something that is supernatural to break the hold. We know we need that. So if you continue to follow along, look in verse 26. It says, those that are around him, the disciples were with Jesus at this moment, listening to what he was saying to this ruler. It said, those that are around him asked him, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? The disciples were stumped here because in their culture, if you had money, if you had wealth, if you had possessions, that was a sign that you were being blessed by God. Like, oh, God has got favor on your life. You have all these things. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Because Jesus was saying the complete opposite. So they're asking, who can be saved then if this is the case? And if it's that hard, right? If it's that hard for someone to get saved, just saying, you're saying it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Jesus was using the biggest thing that they could see in their time and the smallest thing that they could see in that time to give them a picture of how hard it was. And Jesus replied to the disciples in that moment. And he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's like, you're right. You can't do this alone. You are not willing to do this. I have to work within a heart. And when I move and I act and I breathe in someone's life, guess what? They will run from those things because I am worthy and I'm worth it. What man can't do, God can. From the rich man who has everything he needs in this world to the poor man who has nothing and everything in between, Jesus steps in and claims what is impossible with man that is possible with God. And we all have hope, and that hope is found in Jesus alone. Your life can change in a moment, and it can have overwhelming peace that you have never felt before. It will have true purpose for the very first time. True purpose for the very first time. And the requirement is Jesus, nothing else to answer your question. The requirement for eternal life is Jesus and nothing else. Nothing but Jesus. And my last question tonight that I want to ask you, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? The passage ends when Peter says to Jesus in verse 28. Then Peter said, look, look, Jesus, we have left what we've had and we followed you. So he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brother or sister Parents, children, because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time in the eternal life in the age to come. The first thing that we natural dump, jump to when we think about this, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Of course it is. We get to be with Jesus for eternity, right? When we die, it's not the end. We get to spend it with Jesus. How is that, how is that not the greatest thing ever? But we are just like the young ruler. Just we think as he thought, and he walked away sad. I'm afraid that our hearts think this way about eternity, but our actions do not show it. Yeah, it's great to follow Jesus because we get to spend eternity with him, but our lives don't show it. Jesus was concerned for our hearts and for eternity, but it wasn't just that. Jesus says in his word that he came to give you life and to have it abundantly here and now and for eternity. 
Our lives don't have to be in a world of stress and turmoil over what's next uh, or how we're going to have to deal with this situation or what may happen in this class or how's my family going to deal with this because Jesus is there. He knows exactly what we need when we need it. So as I finish up, let's keep back into verse 29 and 30 one more time. Jesus asks, or tells, he says, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left his house, wife, brother, sisters, parents, children, because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age of the come. At this time and eternal life in the ages to come. Jesus wants you to live a rich, full life in him. Nothing else matters. He wants it for now and for eternity. He wants that for you right now. Jesus wants you to surrender your life for his. Is it worth it? Of course it is. Jesus gives us the greatest gift that we could ever think of. It's a gift that has changed my life, and it's a gift that's changed many people's lives in this room. What I want you to know that I know it seems hard. I know that there are things right now that are gripping your heart, that are gripping your life, and you feel that you can't get rid of them. But I want you to know that with Jesus, it is possible. Jesus didn't tell us that we have to come clean, we have to get all of our stuff put together, then you can come and follow me. He's like, no, you come follow me and I will work in your life like you've never seen before. All we have to do is know that Jesus is Lord and put our trust in him. He has already accomplished everything that he's needed to accomplish on the cross. He died and raised from the grave three days later that we may have life now and everlasting. We are unable. But he is. Jesus is able. He's calling to us to lay down everything that we have for his sake because he's given us everything that we need. I want you to remember the two stories that I talked about at the beginning. The lady at the tree and Victor the helper. A lady who was willing to lay everything down for Jesus, who heard a story standing and peeking behind a tree because she knew it is what gave her life. And my dear friend Victor, to this day, I don't know, that I pray that the gospel has worked in his life. But I want to ask you a question as we remember those stories, who do you identify with? Is it the lady at the tree or is it Victor? Are you willing to give up everything for Jesus? Are you willing to give up everything so that you can know him, you can follow him, you can get, get life from him? 
Or are you going to walk away sad because you think something else is worth more? I pray that is Jesus. I plead with you that you know that Jesus is everything that you need. Let us pray.